Great to have you all here. We start a new sermon series today called The Mystery of Jesus in the Gospel of John. There are four eyewitness accounts that we have in our New Testament, and a unique one is the fourth one, the Gospel of John. And one of the reasons why is because, according to the other accounts, is that John was part of the inner circle. He was not just one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he was part of this inner circle with Peter and then uh, James, who's not the brother of Jesus, but a disciple named James, and John. They got to be in the room when Jesus did the more extraordinary miracles. And they got to be at Jesus' side when he explained more in-depthly what those miracles signified. And so it's interesting. Later in the New Testament, we have a letter that John wrote, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. Afterwards, some years afterward, wrote a letter, and he talks about the Gospel of John that he wrote in the very first sentences of it. He says this in 1 John, the letter we have toward the end of the New Testament, very first verses. He says, that which was from the beginning, now that's how the Gospel of John starts, so he's referring back to that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's his term for Jesus. That's interesting because the Jesus that John presents is more mysterious than the Jesus in the other three eyewitness accounts. Now, it's not a different Jesus, but John being part of the inner circle and seeing the things that he saw, well, his memory is a little more mysterious. His memory is a little more deeper as far as the Jesus that he spent three years with. And it's, so the, the, the mystery Jesus, so to speak, is what we want to look at in this sermon series. Maybe it's self-indulgent on our part. Maybe we just wanted to do a sermon series that we were excited about. But it's kind of fun to look at just the parts of John. We're not going to look at the whole Gospel of John. That's not our interest here. We're just going to look at the parts of John that show us the mystery of Jesus. They're just really interesting passages that are the mysterious Jesus that John knew and that John's talking about. Now, we're not going to understand any of it if we don't understand the first 18 verses that John gives us in the prologue, the first part of the Gospel of John. He sets the stage right off the bat. He comes out of the gates with the mystery of Jesus, with super mysterious words. But how, what you focus on in this world will determine what you hear when you read them. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, this video here. Let's just take a moment and watch how the word you read determines what you hear. Let's just take a moment. It'll repeat like five times. Now go back and forth and read another one. Just go back and forth and read different ones. work for you? Yeah. One person in the first service said, no, he might be an AI in a body that he doesn't know. He was just created with a memory of a childhood and all that, but he was just born three weeks ago. Uh, but the human brain, for some reason, is this, has this thing that whatever you're kind of focusing on is, is what your brain brings out of the sound waves to, 
to make sense of what you hear. It's more involved than what I just said for sure. But, but just like that video, these, these, these 18 verses in John are some of the most mysterious words ever penned by a human. But again, what, you're, what you focus on in life most is going to determine how you hear what you hear when you read them. Let's just dive right into it and, and, and see what, let's see what, if that works. The very first verse of the Gospel of John starts off super mysterious. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him, through the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, what John's doing here is he's riffing on, in the beginning, he's going back to the beginning of the Bible, the very first sentence in Genesis, the very first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what Genesis chapter one does, I think in a poetic way, over and over repeatedly says, and God said, and then something is created. And, and so the, the idea in the Bible is that God created by his spoken word. The word of God created everything that has been created. So that a poet later will say in the Hebrew scriptures in Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And then in a, a parallel, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So the word of God, God speaking the entire universe into existence is the biblical narrative. And John is going back to that and saying, that's the word, the word created everything. And it's really interesting because you might read that and go, that's such a religious simplification of this incredibly complex universe. But the current narrative of astronomy and astrophysics is kind of the same thing. I mean, the current narrative by most people, the consensus is, is that this entire universe exploded into existence in a fraction of a second. It's not really that different than what the Bible's been saying all along. But here's what's interesting is that John wants you to understand, you're not going to understand anything in his eyewitness account of the stories he's going to tell us of Jesus if you don't understand this. If you miss this, you're going to miss everything, is what he says in verse 14. He says, and the word became, well, we'll get there. I'm surprised we don't see a little spinning wheel. And the word became, so the, the word that created the entire universe became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. And we, John and his disciples, we have seen his, his glory. I think he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, his bodily resurrection. We have seen his glory as of the only son, the embodiment of the word is what that means, from the father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, you're not going to understand the Jesus that you read about and all the stories I'm going to tell you from my eyewitness accounts. You won't understand the significance of what he's doing. You, it won't make sense what he's saying if you miss that he is the one that created the entire universe. 
that created everything that exists, that he became truly human with human DNA. He was not like the God sometimes in the Old Testament who would show up as a human kind of appearance and talk to Abraham or others. No, this is different. He was conceived in Mary with Mary DNA and born as a baby and grew up as a child and had to live as a human being and do all the things human beings have to do to live. And then he eventually was killed and then he was raised bodily from the dead, that he was a human completely, and that that's significant to the whole story. Now, if this room here is representative of most people who profess to be Christians and believe the Bible is the word of God and all that, they're called evangelical. And that's become a political term, so I don't want to identify with that. But the idea of evangelical really transliterates a Greek word that means gospel-believing. So if we went with the, the more strict, you know, the more traditional meaning of that word, gospel-believing Christians were surveyed in a poll last year by Lifeway Research, and the results were published in Christianity Today. And I just want to look at two of them, because I think they're interesting here. According to the survey, it says this, 73% of professing, again, gospel-believing Christians agreed with the statement that, this is it, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 73% of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian follower of Jesus, 73% of those people said that Jesus was a great being, but created by God, which is different than what John's saying. 43% affirm that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Now, if that is at all representative of this room, and you know, it's, 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 these things are complicated, and I don't blame you if it is, but here's the thing. If I believe that, I for sure wouldn't want to follow Jesus. I mean, wh- what? I wouldn't want to follow Jesus unless I'm following God. I don't want to follow a person. That's kind of weird. But I'm following a person who is the embodiment of God. So here's the thing. John says this, that, that imagine this is, just imagine this. He says this in verse three, verse one and verse three. He says, imagine this, that the word was God, the, the, the one who spoke the entire universe into existence, that everything that's been, everything in the universe created was created by him. And through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And the word became human. Here's what John wants you, and just imagine, imagine believing this. Just ima- even if you don't, even if you're, you're trying to still struggle through this, imagine for a moment believing this, that, that the John who spent three years with Jesus and saw the miracles of Jesus, you saw him turn water into wine, huge jugs of water into wine, saw him walk on water, saw him calm a storm with the wave of his hand, saw him raise several people from the dead who had been dead for quite a while and, and saw all these miracles of turning you know, a couple pieces of bread into feeding 5,000 people and giving sight to the blind and ultimately saw him be raised from the dead. What John is saying, and imagine this, that the God that created the entire universe, this is the Jesus he knew, this is the Jesus that he was convinced is real, that he's the God that created the entire universe. Now, Imagine again, we kind of know what the universe is. It's, it's not just our planet and the other planets in our solar system, and it's not just the 
all these other hundreds of billions of stars and planets in our own galaxy, and our own galaxy is like an island universe in and of itself. It's just unbelievably vast with hundreds of billions of stars, but it's, it's trillions of galaxies in the universe. We now know from the James Webb Telescope, we had it wrong by 10%. That, that it's uh, 10 times more than that, and that's just what we know now. Who knows? But there's trillions of galaxies that have hundreds of billions of stars with probably trillions of planets. It's just un fathomable. And John is saying that the one who created this entire universe with this quantum physics and black holes and all these things we don't understand, the God who created this universe became human and he was with them and he did miracles to show that who he was and he said those miracles demonstrated that what he was saying about who he was was true. And, and John is saying that, that, that that's the Jesus he knew for three years and that he saw die and that he saw rise from the dead and convinced him and the other disciples to where their lives were never the same. That's a Jesus that they thought was worth following and ultimately worth dying for. But the, I mean, let's just be honest. Does that make a lot of sense? God that created these trillions of galaxies with trillions of planets all of a sudden the earth, a little planet on a little star in the outside of a relatively small galaxy and kind of a fringe part of the universe and not a lot of popular, you know, not a lot going on here galaxy-wise around us. Does it make a lot of sense that that God would become part of creation, would become human on a little planet in that significant part of the universe? Is that, does that really make a lot of sense? Well, it doesn't unless the eyewitness account of what John's going to tell us in the Gospel of John is true. And that ultimately he was raised from the dead after being dead. Then you got to kind of reevaluate. But what's the motive? What would be the motive of that kind of God? What's so important about us? What's so important about earth? What's so important about our story that would cause that to happen? And John answers it. In two ways. The first is in verse four. He says this, and I just want you to stick with me. This is super mysterious. I just stick with me. He says, In him was life. He's the embodiment of life itself. He's not just not just the creator of the entire universe and everything that exists that's been created. He's the one who's the source of all life that exists anywhere. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Again, he's getting super mysterious. The light that shines in the darkness. The light, excuse me, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, all this language here is still doing the same thing he's doing. He's going back to the first verses of Genesis 1. Remember, the very first words of creation by God were, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. What John is saying is that God is doing a a new creation. That God became human to do a new creation, but this time the darkness is hostile. This time there's enmity between the darkness and the light, and there's a fight. And so he says in verse 9, he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he's walking around and he's the one that made the world, the world did not recognize 
that the God that created this universe came so humbly, so unimpressively, except for his signs of the miracles that were demonstrating what he was saying about himself was true, but there's something about the darkness in the world and the fight that didn't recognize the true light of the one who created the world walking around and talking. It's interesting because I think John's insight into that, written 2,000 years ago, is so current. We see something like that, I think, all the time in our culture now. Now, just think about it this way, that, 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 that people find it far easier to embrace spiritual beliefs that have far less evidence than reading John's testimony of the miracles and the words and the resurrection of Jesus. Like right now, if, you've, if you're at all culturally aware, you know that astrology is making a comeback. Everybody's talking about astrology. These are intelligent, educated people talking about how astrology is for sure true. And the belief is, again, there's no evidence for it, but the belief is that somehow the planets when you were born and the stars and how they align with the constellations and, the, and that somehow even now today how they're aligning in significant ways controls the outcome of your day and your life. Now, they might be right. That might be the way it is, but what's the evidence for that? I don't but would they consider at least the evidence that John presents in the Gospel of John of the light? Or tarot cards, that a card can somehow reveal something true about you and true what's going to happen in your life, what's happening in your life. Here, here's one I know you know, and that is the word the universe. What is the universe trying to tell us? That's in movies. What is, what is the universe trying to give me? What does the universe want me to do? And people are talking this way because, see, here's why. Astrology, tarot cards, the universe, every, even if they don't recognize Jesus as the light or even care to read the evidence that's presented in the eyewitness accounts, not even interested enough to read the, read the accounts, but will believe these things without any evidence, it shows you that people know just instinctively there's something, someone in charge of their lives that they're not ultimately in control. Something someone else is. Rick Rubin, I like Rick Rubin a lot. He's a, a multi-award-winning producer of anybody you've heard about that's famous. He's produced their album in the last 30 years. He's super, super talented. And his touch is the golden touch to make a star. And he's been interviewing lately because he has a new book out doing podcasts. And in one of the podcasts, he writes, he actually says this. He says, talking about a, a hopeless moment in his life, he says, in that moment of hopelessness, I prayed. In that moment of hopelessness, I prayed. And I prayed for a sign. Here's what he prayed. Please, universe, please give me a sign. Please give me a sign to go on because I don't think... I can go on. Now, again, he might be right. He might be, he might be tapped into something I'm ignorant of. But it's interesting to me, without any evidence at all, that somehow his belief is that a universe that we just know is energy and matter, that's what we know, is stars, galaxies, atoms, all these kind of things, that that somehow, that vastness of the universe cares about him enough to hear him pray and give him a sign of what the universe, this material, vast universe, wants him to do 
in order to be happy and come out of his moment of hopelessness. Now, again, he might be right. He's smart. But I wonder if he's considered the account of John, the eyewitness account of the words and the miracles in the life of Jesus. Here's what John says. Here's why the God that created this universe became human. As crazy as it sounds, as out of sorts rationally as it sounds in some sense, here's why he did it. Verse 12, he says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, but, but born of God. Now, if you notice here, I've kind of highlighted two words that he says in verse 14 that the God who created this universe, everything that's been made was made by him. He became human so that we could become children of God. It's interesting because, you know, he goes on in the story of the eyewitness account of Jesus is talking about coming back and God restoring this earth and a resurrection and all these kinds of things. It's this ongoing story. But John gets to where he talks about it more in this letter I talked about toward the end of the New Testament. It's as if John realized, I just want to explain what I forgot to explain in the gospel. Let me just get into it a little more. And so he says this later in the letter in 1 John chapter 3. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And here's what he's saying. You have no idea. The God that created this universe, when he makes you become what's called a child of God, your life has now tapped into the very one who's the source of all existence and the giver of all life, the eternal one that's forever, which means your life has been brought into a forever story. You have no idea what God has in store for somebody who becomes a child of God. It is so huge, it is so unimaginable that it was worth the God that created this entire universe to become human in order to make it happen. I mean, he says, he says we, that we should be called children of God. You have no idea of the great love of God for you because of that. And then he says, and that is what we are and what we will be has not yet been made known. You can't even imagine what you're going to be. But if you're a child of God, what you will be, there's a verse in one of the other gospels where Jesus says, you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. Maybe that's kind of what John's thinking about. But he's, what you will be, you have no idea. You don't know it yet. But we know that when Christ appears, when he comes back, we, will, we shall be like him. Here's what John's saying is that Jesus became like you so that you could become like him. And you have no idea what that means, but it is unimaginable. And so much so that it was worth the God that created this entire universe to become human, to make it happen. I spoke years ago at a retreat for college students. 
And so it was a reach. I was the speaker, and so I was kind of in charge of giving talks. And then I, one morning on Saturday morning, it was one of those fall days that had sunshine, it was warm. And uh, I just, at the end of my talk in the morning, I said, Why don't you go out, find somewhere, read through this passage again, and just pray and, and think about these things, and then we'll come back, you know, for lunch. And so they, they go out. And there was this girl that was, I noticed, that was part of the retreat, part of the group, and she was blind. But there was something about her that, you know, when she was blind, but she was the happiest person in the room. She just had this exuberant light about her, this joy about her that was hard to ignore, hard to miss. And when I sent the students out, I noticed that, you know, they all kind of scattered out into the trees and picnic tables and chairs. And there was a lake that had a, had a chair next to it. And she went out and she sat in this chair that was facing the lake. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, she's blind. Let's just say it what it is. And she's facing the lake as part of her meditation. And I just, this is my personality. Later, I had to ask her. I said, okay, you just got to tell me. I know you're blind. Why did you sit by the lake when you can't even see it? In my mind, I'm thinking, why not? What's the difference between that and facing a wall? Why did you go out there and face a lake? And her face, when she was doing it, was just filled with such peace and this sense of transcendence and joy. And And she just got huge with joy again when she was answering the question. She said, oh, She goes, just for a moment, if I faced the lake, I could see glimmers of the sunlight off the water. And it just was so joyful for me. Can you imagine believing what John saw Jesus do and heard Jesus say? And he he, he believed it. The resurrection clinched it for him. Can you imagine if this is true, what it really means for you? I mean, that the God of the universe, who is the source of all existence and the giver of all life, was embodied in the person of Jesus. And it was so important that he come. And it was so important that he die and rise from the dead. And John says that the whole importance was focused on so that you could become a child of God. And we have no idea what that means, but we know we're going to be like him. And that's beyond imagination. Can you imagine believing it? and what that would mean for your life. Even if you can't see it right now, the believing it and the sometimes the glimmer that comes when you focus on this as the ultimate truth for your life and the the real sense of the future that you have, a real future for you, for your life, a real meaning to your life, a real hope even in all this craziness in this world, that your life has real hope, that your life has real significance, real purpose, real grace and truth being the whole context of your life and and real relationship with the God who created this universe, which means real belonging to the essence of all existence and the giver of all life, the one who is the embodiment of light itself, you belong. Can you imagine how that would change your life? That's the Jesus we're going to look at in the weeks to come. And I hope you come back and you listen and you recognize. 
Would you stand to receive God's blessing from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. May the God who said, let light shine in the darkness, may he make his light shine in your heart so that you may have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week.